0: Good morning. Let's find our seats. It's good to greet each other, hug each other, be family. How many of you watch the news? How many of you have decided not to watch the news anymore? Yeah, I hear you. Um, one of the things I hear often is what this country needs is a good revival. Amen. Because the problems that we see and the things that we see prevalent in our society won't actually be solved by government. They will only be solved by a people turning back to Christ. You know, I think we could say the same thing in the time of Jesus. And sometimes we think that our culture and our age is like the worst it's ever been. No, study history sometimes. This is not the worst it's ever been. It can get a lot worse. But the answer to each of those situations has been a movement by God, a revival by God as he does a work in his land and in his church. I think back to the beginning of Acts that we studied, Pentecost. And Pentecost is when the, the Holy Spirit came on the apostles and it started the work of the church, and it started an unquenchable fire of the work of the church and the gospel that would not be stopped. Do you know what happened 10 days before Pentecost? And for 10 days straight, the people prayed. The word says they intensely prayed or they fervently prayed. And they, were, they, they didn't know what else to do. They didn't know what God was doing. They were waiting on God and the people prayed. Throughout as we studied Acts, whenever we saw, when we saw Paul and Barnabas went out, the people fasted and they prayed beforehand. Over and over, we saw prayer linked with the work of God. Example after example in the Word. Move forward to more recent history, maybe 200 years ago, 150 years ago. America's Great Revival started September 23rd, 1857, sometimes called the Businessman's Revival. Jeremiah Lampier called a prayer meeting in downtown New York from 12 to 1, from noon to 1. He said, Come even for five minutes if you could, and he's asking businessmen to come and pray. On that day, he was ready at noon to welcome the businessmen, and no one showed up. At 12:10, no one. 12:25, no one. Then all of a sudden at 12:30, one person came. <laughs> And joined him in prayer. And then another and another. And on that first day, they had six people that dedicated themselves to praying. Praying for the community, praying for God to do a work. Within six months, 10,000 businessmen were praying together for revival in New York City. Within two years, 2 million people were added to churches because one man said, let's pray. And he got others to join him and pray. One of the six to attend the first meeting was a 21-year-old who had a passion to take the same fire to his hometown in Philadelphia. His first meeting had 40, then 60, then 300, then 2,500 Then he had to get a tent to accommodate the incoming crowds. In just four months, over 150,000 people had prayed in that tent. This revival started just weeks before a great stock market crash and financial disaster. It started just weeks after the horrible decision not to allow African Americans to become citizens. It started just a couple of years before the Civil War started to rectify that and to abolish slavery in America. Did prayer have something to do with it? I would argue it did. Because prayer always accompanies the work of God. God knew what was needed, prayer. One author studying this said, the revival didn't give us the prayer meeting The prayer meeting gave us the revival. Amen? It's okay to say amen at the work of God. It's okay to realize how many people came to church because people prayed, that came to know the Lord, that came to the gospel. It would have been easy to, to criticize this. It would have been easy to point out everything that was done wrong. And probably some people were there for the spectacle. It would have been easy to criticize different beliefs, but those would have served to quench the spirit. God was at work. One other businessman traveling all the way from Omaha to Boston, which I guess is a long way, haven't been there. He reported that he found a continuous prayer meeting for 2,000 miles because what happened is that prayer spread from church to church to church, and for 2,000 miles, every city he went to had a church that was praying. Amen. Move forward just a few years. The same pattern is found in Ulster, Ireland. James um, McQuilkin, we'll try that, and three others begin to meet in a schoolhouse every week for prayer and Bible study. They kept themselves warm with armfuls of peat gathered on the way every Friday evening. While peat warmed their bodies, the spirit kindled the fire in their hearts. By the end of 1858, the participants at the prayer meeting had grown to 50. Intercession without distraction to other subjects was made for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on themselves and on the country. Their prayers and possibly many more were wonderfully answered the next year when an estimated 100,000 people were added to the churches in Ulster. Now, lest we think that numbers are what matters here, Their prayer meeting grew to 50. And 50 people praying were part of God's work to add 100,000 people to the church. Village, don't underestimate the power of prayer. Don't underestimate how God chooses to use prayer in the formation of his people, in the formation of his church. 1905, g campbell morgan was talking about the welsh revival and he was on the scene during that in england and he he said this and he he wrote this and this is in his words let us look at the welsh revival more generally let me speak of some of the incidental peculiarities of the revival as i saw it and gathered information concerning it on the ground In connection with the awakening, there is no preaching, no order, no hymn books, no choirs, no organs, no collection, and finally, no advertising. (laughs) Whence has it come? All over Wales, I am giving you roughly the result of questioning 50 or more people at random in the week. A praying remnant has been agonizing before God about the state of the beloved land, and it is through prayer that the answer of fire has come. What effect is this work producing upon men, he goes on? First of all, it is turning Christians everywhere into evangelists. Amen. There is nothing more remarkable about it than that, I think. People you never expected to see doing this kind of thing are becoming personal workers. The revival is characterized by the most remarkable confession of sin, confessions that must be costly. I heard some of them, he goes on to write, men rising who had been members of the church and officers of the church, confessing hidden sin in their hearts, impurity committed and condoned, and seeking prayer for its putting away. And in his interviews, he said the the revival, the Welsh revival, was because of prayer, was because of prayer. We can go on and on and on, and hopefully... As, as we start this series on prayer, these are stirring in us a passion for prayer and a passion to say, what might God do if we were a praying church? And at the same time, trying to say, okay, what gets in the way of me praying? What makes it hard to pray? How can we develop better skills for prayer together? A few other people, A.W. Tozer speaks of diligence in prayer as a condition for revival. And he said, among revival-minded Christians, I have heard the saying, revivals are born after midnight. That doesn't mean they're born from late-night infomercials. He is saying that a serious mind and a determined heart to pray all night or when there was no longer convenient to pray, that's what made the difference. Martin Luther said, I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. And the busier he got, the more time he dedicated to prayer because he needed it. John Wesley spent two hours daily in prayer and he said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. God does nothing but in an answer to prayer. When asked the secret of his spiritual power, Charles Spurgeon said, knee work, knee work, knee work. As I've been studying preparing for this series, one of the things that has just impacted me so much is every man and woman of God that is doing the work of God speaks of prayer as a priority in their life. Every single one. And yet sometimes I think, and it's true of my life, Sometimes prayer becomes an add-on or something that becomes rote, something that becomes habit at certain times of the day. And I don't think I'm alone. Anyone here ever said the same prayer for a meal that you did before? Anyone? Yeah. And sometimes we go to prayer and we're like, okay, I don't even know what to pray. And, and, and we end up praying um, really the same things at times or, or short things. But my goal and my heart for this series for us is that we not only see the importance of prayer, but we begin to explore how we can be more effective at prayer, how we can pray in a way that revitalizes our walk with God, that energizes our walk with God, that builds that relationship rather than something we need to check off because it's a spiritual discipline we should do. And I'm not saying it's bad to do that because there are times you're not going to feel like praying. There's times I don't feel like praying. And we do it out of obedience. But prayer is so much more, so much more revitalizing when we understand it and take it seriously. So we're going to spend a few weeks, and it'll be interrupted by Easter and the missions conference, but we're going to spend a few weeks exploring prayer, exploring talking to God. We're going to look at the whys, the hows, the what to include. And, and just warning you in this series, we're going to take a systematic theology approach. We're going to be looking at a ton of different verses. And so, um, and, and I'll admit, this is a little challenging for me in some of how I like to do things because I like you to be able to turn in your Bible and we go through a passage And to ask you to turn 50 places on a morning is impossible, so I'm going to do what I don't like to do and put some of the the verses on the screen. Here's here's what I want from you for this. I'm asking. Check it out. The verses are all in your notes and some that we're not going to cover. And my goal is that there is personal study throughout the week. Every verse on the screen, check out in in the Word. But we just can't look up that many verses on any given Sunday morning. And so um, that's a little bit of of how we're going to do this. Um, Hopefully along the way, we don't just gain an understanding of prayer or a head knowledge of prayer, but we gain tools to pray better. One of the things that you'll discover, and you probably already know with prayer, is this is a huge topic. It is simple on one hand and a huge topic on another. And so we're just going to hit highlights and hopefully just tempt you with appetizers a little bit to do a lot of deeper study and a lot of further study. As you read the word, man, almost every story is infused with prayer somehow. In fact, prayer is an assumption of the word, not an add-on. As we look through what people are doing, there are thousands of verses that we could go to on prayer. We're not going to hit them all. But I hope you hit a lot more than we do on Sunday morning. So there's going to be room to explore. There's going to be room for study. And there will be a richness and a joy if you do that study. And not just take 45 minutes on a Sunday morning, but dig into God's Word and chew on it and understand it. But then there will be even more of a joy if you work to try to put into practice some of the things that we're going to talk about prayer. Because in the end... We can study it Sunday morning, but if we don't try it, this is a waste of time. And so I challenge you, study more and put it into practice. So we're going to ask questions throughout this series. We're going to ask today, what is prayer and why pray? My hunch is that's going to spill over into next week as well. We're going to ask how to pray. We're going to ask questions like, does God answer prayer? How does that work? With a, an infinite, all-knowing God. We're going to also ask, you know, what should we include in prayer? And try to give a whole lot of tools to give us some, um, some variety there. But I want to start with a question. I'm going to ask you the question, what is prayer? What is prayer? Thoughts, you can answer back. Communication with God. Good, okay. Okay, praying for people, giving our requests or petitions to God. What was that worship? Amen. Prayer is worship, which is why almost all of the Psalms can be also prayers, um, because it's worship. It's talking to God. Now, what's interesting to me is this question. I suspected this. What is prayer is a question that's a little harder to answer in a group because it does seem pretty straightforward. Prayer is communication with God. In, in its simplest form, it's talking with God. And, and as we think about prayer, that is okay to have that basic definition because that covers what prayer is to be. It speaks of relationship. Wayne Grudem, in his thick book on systematic theology, said, gave this definition of prayer. And you expect several paragraphs from Wayne Grudem. Prayer is personal communication with God. That's his definition. Because prayer is that simple. It is something that your children can understand. Our children that are in kids' bin right now can understand. Prayer is, is a communication with God. It's that a personal communication, a relationship with God. Think about communication, though. Communication to be effective in a relationship needs to be what? Two way, right? If if, anyone, no, I'm not asked for a show of hands on this one. But think of friends where communication is not two way, right? We we have people in our lives that communication isn't two way. What does that do to the relationship? I'm going to assume that you said it damages it. I couldn't quite grab all that. It's not a relationship if it's one way. It's, and, and so prayer, and, and I put in there my definition, and I split it into two, two lines because the first line is the basic definition, but then it clarifies it in the second line. Prayer is two-way personal communication with God. And so it's talking with Him. It's singing to Him. It's listening to Him. It's that two-way community. It's reading the word, hearing the Holy Spirit speak into our lives. Prayer is two-way personal communication with God. And the clarifying items, it's enabled by the work of Christ. If you don't know Christ, if you haven't accepted his work on the cross, then it is impossible to have a prayer life with God. The first step is to allow Jesus to to pay for our sins to take that to accept that payment to accept that forgiveness restore and reconcile relationship with god and then we can pray in this way and so it's enabled by the work of christ and and praise god and we'll look at this a little later in the series it's assisted by the spirit because god's word says there are times you don't know what to pray but the holy spirit does And the Holy Spirit is assisting. And so that takes some of the pressure off because I'm not performing for God when I pray. It is just two-way communication. It is talking with God and the Holy Spirit is interceding and and helping the words be right and the requests be right. There's some other definitions that, that I read that sort of fall under that. Prayer aligns our heart with God's heart. Prayer is the fuel and power for God's work. And I think we could recognize that and we know that. And one author said, prayer is so simple. It's like quietly opening a door and slipping into the very presence of God. And so prayer is this, this simple concept of two-way communication with God, personal relationship with God, in his very presence. And so there's a holy aspect of prayer. There's, that should create awe in us that we can go in the very presence of God, we can communicate with him, and he hears. This is amazing. And so this simple idea is so powerful and it's so holy. Holy. And so I get to my next question. I don't remember if I put this in your notes or not. Why do we struggle to pray? Why don't we pray more? Why is it a challenge? Because in my years of ministry, almost universally, I have found that that prayer, consistent prayer, fervent prayer is a challenge. It's something we have to work at. So why, why don't we pray? And I'll throw this out. Okay? It's hard to talk to a silent partner because we don't, we don't see God in person. We don't. And so, so how do we carry on that conversation? Good. Someone else. What was that? Prioritizing. Thank you. I thought you said prioritizing. And I'm like, I don't know that word. <laughs> prioritizing. We don't make it a priority sometimes, right? And or all of the other priorities of life weigh in, and prayer is is down at the bottom for when we have time. Yeah. And and please understand as we share these things, this is not a time to say, Oh, I know what their problem is. This is family coming together saying, We all struggle with this. Let's be honest and let's let's work on this. Someone else. Why is it hard to pray? Okay, so we feel far from God, so we don't feel like we can open those lines of communication. Almost like in in a in an interpersonal communication, when we know there's something between us and that other person, it's hard hard to go talk to them. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, sin interferes with prayer. It interferes with our desire to pray. We're going to find out one of the questions we're going to answer is, um, when does God not answer prayer? And that will come up again in that question. And, and please understand, we're not answering all these questions today. <laughs> we're going to get maybe to one today. Jack. Distractions. Yeah, okay. Something else comes to mind. We go do something else. Um, What what are things that can distract us from prayer? What was that? Social media. Oh, never. (laughs) Scroll, 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 scroll. What was that? Video games can distract us from prayer, right? I just need to get to the same level. That's accomplishing something. How is prayer accomplishing something? The things you're addicted to can distract from prayer. Absolutely, because they now become more important and take our time more. Great answers. Binge watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah. And there's something about these things that capture our attention more than prayer. And thats a, I, I want to explore that a little bit in, in one of our future weeks. Why doesn't prayer capture our attention? There was some hands over here. yeah busyness of life you need to accomplish something tangible that's that's why um Martin Luther's quote convicts me deeply. The busier he got, the more time he spent at prayer. I'm like,' no, no, that's not how that works but but he he understood okay. Uh, yeah, we feel like there's a lengthy process to get in the mindset to pray. And and so I, I I think that's really true. And sometimes not even knowing whether we have the right words to pray because sometimes we put it as much more than communication with God. And so we, we think we have to, to be in a certain state. Too tired. We don't have the energy to invest in prayer. Anyone pray at night and fall asleep while you're praying? I have. Here, I'll start this off. I have. And so I I have to do some different things. Um, I can't pray laying down in bed. I I sit down and watch TV and I'm out. So um, um, there's different disciplines we have to do. Yeah. But it's, it's a discipline and it's a skill that is acquired and that we have to work at like we have to do in relationships. You can't just let it be. Yeah, yeah. So give me a summary. Um I, I try to summarize. It's a, it's a discipline and skill that needs to be acquired. It's not going to come easy. So it's a discipline and skill that needs to be acquired. It's not going to come easy. We have to work at it. In in my notes and even for today, we have to practice it, Right? Prayer is something we practice and we get better at. And and again, we think, oh, what do you mean I have to practice prayer? Do we ever have to practice communicating with each other? First time you meet someone, awkward or just it's great? (laughs) Usually it's awkward because we're like, what do we talk about? And the more you talk to them, the more background you have together, common things together, the easier it is to talk. One more. I thought I saw one more hand. Here we go. Unworthiness. I, I'm not worthy to pray, which goes to a little bit of Jessica's, a little bit to Jason's. Tim. Over there, we had one over here. Up here. Yes. Unbelief. Yeah. If if I don't if I don't believe prayer actually does anything, am I going to spend an extra hour a day in prayer? No if I don't believe in God, in Jesus and what he's done for me, that it doesn't make sense to pray. And so all these things are um, reasons we don't pray. One of the things that when I asked my family this question that came up and and is the first thing that Donald Whitney brings up in praying the Bible is sometimes prayer is boring. Right? Everyone's like, he could say that? (laughs) Um, Are we ever bored in prayer? Because I, I agree with them. And, some, and here's the thing, and I, I'm going to steal an example he uses. If, if I was to talk to you every week, and one of the, the conditions of our conversation is it had to say the same things every week. We had to say the same things to each other every week. right? Those that have read it, remember this illustration? It's powerful. What does that do to the communication over time? It kills it, right? If every week one of you are going to come up to me and say, the Angels are the best baseball team. and, and No, just kidding. Um, but if, if every word is the same every time, that isn't communication. Well, it's sort of communication, but that's not relational communication. And so, so one, of, one of his arguments and one of the things that we struggle with is when we come to God and say the exact same thing every time, then it can feel boring. And, and the answer isn't just to arbitrarily make up new words to say, but some skills, and this book is one of them, that, which is why we're recommending it, some skills to to develop a, a, a way to pray, things to pray about. And, and in a few weeks, we'll be talking about what to include in prayer. And I need to to cool down my notes a little bit because I'm like at 20 things. Um, <laughs> that's going to be a two-week one too. Um, But if we can get tools of what do we pray about. And and in our 24 hours of prayer, do you remember the 12 different sheets of paper on the board or on on the wall? That was one of the reasons we were doing that to show that there were at least 12 different categories of what to pray for. And, and, And so that was helping us begin to diversify what we pray for and how we pray. And so these are things that can get in the way of prayer. Prayer is hard because Satan doesn't want us to pray. Satan does not want us to pray. He knows it's where the power is. And so he will attack hard with the distractions, with any way he can to keep us from praying. So the question I want to start on today, and we'll get through two parts of it. Why pray? Why pray? And, and what, we can, what we can think from growing up and what we can think of sort of the traditional approaches to prayer is that we pray to get what we want. We pray, okay, we, we, we should probably put it in more spiritual terms. We pray to ask God for what we want. <laughs> and and again, there are so many, I want, I want to give a balance here, God wants us to ask for what we want, just like you want your kids to share what you want. But if that's the only communication, if the only time your kids came to you and said, I want this, I want this, I want this, then, then that hinders communication. But God wants to know what we want. More than that, he wants to know what's on our heart. He wants to know the pain. He wants to know the distress. He wants to know our needs. but he wants us to come to him in humble relationship. Not assuming that prayer, somehow we have our private genie. And we can, if we just pray right, if we just fast right, if we just use the right words, we can get what we want. And we're going to find that's where the Pharisees were at. And so why pray? Prayer is not made, and I put this quote in your notes, prayer is not made so that God can find out what we need. Matthew 6, 8 says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so God knows what we need. He likes to hear it, but prayer isn't somehow informing God of something he doesn't know. So then that begs the question, if God knows everything, why pray? And sometimes I've heard that stop people from praying. But prayer has been ordained by God, has been commanded by God to do so much more than let God know what we need. And so we're going to look at six different things, two today, four next week. The first reason to pray. Real prayer builds a real relationship with our Father. Real prayer builds a real relationship with our Father. And My hope is that these six things we can remember the underlined words, and that will give us a structure. The first one is relationship. Prayer helps us build a relationships with God it helps us stay close to God. Turn to Matthew chapter six, and this passage I, I will not be putting on the screen because I want you to stay in Matthew six throughout the morning, and next week, Matthew chapter six and I want to take um, the place where the disciples say, how do we pray? And Jesus says, pray like this. So this is the Lord's Prayer, or some call it the Disciples Prayer. And the risk of going here is this is probably the most familiar prayer in the Bible. This is the one that people memorize and and different, uh, and and that's great. In fact, part of your memory verse is to memorize the Lord's Prayer. We're going to start through that. But this is sometimes the one that's said, Um, in certain liturgical services, whenever prayer needs to happen. And what can happen, and it doesn't have to, is we can lose the impact of these words. Because it's short, it's easy to remember. And so as we go through some of the reasons to pray, we're going to find that Jesus' example of prayer covers most of the reasons. And so this is a beautiful thing. So turn to Matthew 6. We're going to look, um, starting at verse 9, we'll look at the verses before a little bit later, but starting at verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does the prayer start? Our Our Father, and and. And and I know sometimes we can forget what what that means, the impact of that, because, oh, I'm going to go say my Our Fathers or something like that. Sometimes that's used as a title of the prayer. But Our Father starts with wording of relationship. It starts with family wording. It it doesn't say Our God who is distant. The, the, The idea of Father is someone who is close, someone who is over, someone who is God, but someone that we have a relationship with. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the focus is on him. The focus is on that relationship. And think for a minute. Think through the the grand story of Scripture. It started with God doing what? Creating man and woman. Creating Adam and Eve. And what what does Genesis say God would do with Adam and Eve? He would walk and talk with them. I'm not quite sure how all that worked out. But it was pretty awesome. <laughs> and so we were created for relationship with the Father. Before the fall, there was perfect communication and relationship with the Father. And so that's the the, the foundation for prayer building a relationship. And then sin messed that up. As we said, sin was a difficulty in prayer. Sin put a wall there. It put a dividing line. But through Jesus Christ, that wall is broken down and we are reconciled. That relationship is restored. And Romans eight fifteen and 16 um, talks about this. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And this this father imagery comes back here, and, and Paul here writing through the Holy Spirit says, When we are saved, when we give our life to Jesus, when we accept the work on the cross, when we repent of our sins, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the King. And we can go to God, and this is this is a statement of prayer, and we can say, Abba Father, dear Abba. And Abba, you know, we we've we've It's sort of hard to describe. Sometimes we say it's like saying daddy, but it's more than that. It's a statement of personal relationship and of personal acceptance. And so prayer here is restored from the fall as a way to say Abba Father, to have that relationship with our Father again. Jude 20 is is a, a really interesting verse on this. Jude 20 and 21. But you, beloved, oh, good, man. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, if you break that down structurally, it says to, to, to the believers here you're building yourself up in your faith, and so you're, you're learning, you're studying, you're building up your knowledge of the faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. And what's the first outcome of that? Keeps us in the love of God. Prayer is designed by God to develop relationship, to build relationship, to keep us in relationship. God loves us and he delights in talking with us. He delights in fellowship with us. And as we communicate, just as our relationships here, we communicate with those we love. I hope you communicate with those you love, and we grow in love as we communicate with them. In the same way, when we love God, we want to talk to Him, we want to communicate with Him, and that communication is through prayer, and, and, and it's it's through through deep prayer. If, if there is no communication in prayer. It will destroy the relationship. Just like here on earth, think of, think of your best friend or your, be, your spouse, not your best spouse, your spouse. <laughs> if you never talk to them, that isn't your best friend. That isn't someone you're close to. Even if you say, oh, we can pick it up later and it's just like we haven't talked. No, you haven't talked. You've missed life together. And so communication is part of life together. And and it's it's not just quick hits. Sometimes in prayer, we can do a quick hit, and it's sort of like texting God. You will never, young people, just hear this. You will never have a good relationship by texting only. It can't happen. We will never have a strong relationship with God by just a quick prayer here and there. Again, understand the balance here. I'm not saying those are wrong, but if they're alone, it's damaging. So so because I, I love to practice praying quick prayers all throughout the day, but if that's all I do or if that's only once or twice in a day, that shows a lack of relationship, not a building relationship. Prayer is to be a regular part of walking with God. It is essential Without prayer, our relationship with God will always stagnate. Richard Foster says this, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. It's the discipline that covers all other be, others because we're in communion with the Father. And so why pray? It builds relationship with our Father. We cannot have a close relationship to him without prayer. And so the question that comes out of this is, do we want a vibrant, living, amazing relationship with the God of the universe? And if we do, we've got to spend some time on our knees. We've got to spend some time in prayer. And when we, when we practice it and we understand how to do it well and when we develop that skill, it will provide the most amazing communion with God our Father that we can have. And even if it's awkward at first, just like any friendship we have, even if it's awkward at first, push through, figure out how to make prayer a part of daily life because it's worth it. Second reason to pray. Second, why pray? And there's going to be a lot more than we cover. I'm just hitting some highlights. To show and develop our trust and dependence on God. To show and develop our trust and dependence on God. Prayer does include asking for something. Petitions. And and we're going to see that's one of the things we are to bring to God is our requests, our Petitions. As we pray, even in worship, we are acknowledging that he is God and we are not, right? And so prayer as its nature is acknowledging that there is something different about God and it's developing our trust and dependence on God. The very act of saying that we need God is an act of trust and dependence. And it's expressing that act. And so this idea of trust and dependence is just covered in Scripture when prayer is mentioned. Over and over and over, it's it's depending on God for the outcome. It's going to Him and trusting Him. And and this is one of those those reasons that resonates with me because I am a very independent person. I am a very self-sufficient person. And prayer strikes to the very heart of that for me. Because I don't like to ask for help. I don't like to admit I I need something. I don't like to admit I don't have it all covered. Those of you that that don't know me, you get to know me a little better. Those that do, you're like, yep. (laughs) Prayer is the antidote for that. Because prayer is going to God saying, I can't, but you can. It is a statement of humility that pride will fight. In Matthew 6, the passage that you're at, if you look back at your, your Bible, pray them like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The phrase in heaven implies that he is above all things. That he is the creator of all things. And there you're, you're building the foundation of dependence on God. That is why we can depend on him. Hallowed be your name. He is altogether different. He is praiseworthy. And so this is all drawing our attention to the greatness of God and the humility of man. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Independence and self-sufficiency says, My kingdom come. My will be done because I know how to do it better anyway. Verse 11, a statement of dependence. Give us this day our daily bread. Not our yearly bread, not our monthly bread, but our daily bread. And I think Jesus was very intentional in what he chose here. To remind us that we daily depend on God. We hourly depend on God. When we get to a point where we don't pray because we don't think we need to, we're in trouble we're in trouble and we're fooling ourselves because we need to. And we need God. We sang songs this morning, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And so right built into... All of the beginning passage, all of the beginning phrases of the prayer, is a trust and a dependence on God, a recognition that He is above and we are not, a recognition of our need, and humbly coming to Him in relationship and trusting Him. We see Jesus depending and trusting on God throughout His ministry, right? In Luke five, fifteen and sixteen, as as ministry started to, to blow up, as people are coming. And and Jesus Jesus was a man. He was fully God and fully man, so he got tired. And and all this is happening in, in Luke five, fifteen and sixteen. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Verse sixteen is a statement of dependence. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. As as ministry geared up and drew his strength and drew his energy, Jesus made it a point to withdraw and pray. Now, now here's the deal. Did Jesus have to go pray to the Father? No, he's also fully God. But he is showing us a perfect example of what it means to live by the Spirit, of what it means to live for God. And so he shows us that the way that we will show that trust and dependence is to get away even in the middle of busyness, in the middle of things pulling at us, and we will pray. Luke six twelve. the next chapter. In these days he went up to the, out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to in prayer to God. There was more and more dependence as ministry grew. God provided the restoration and the strength to continue on. The words pray and prayer, they're used at least 25 times in connection with Jesus in just the brief record of his life in the Gospels. And his praying is mentioned a number of more places where the word pray isn't used. Think of Gethsemane. Where he said, not my will, but yours be done. A statement of ultimate trust and dependence, right? Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but then in trust and dependence, not my will, but yours be done. We are running out of time to even do our two. I do want to do the next one. Part of this dependence and trust, though, like I said, comes when we rightly pray. There are ways to pray that don't attack our dependence and trust at all, that don't give that to God at all. Luke chapter 18 is an example of that. Luke chapter 18, 9 through 13. He, being Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. And so Right in the text, Jesus is going to talk about prayer and he's going to talk the first group are trusting in themselves. The implication is not in God. They were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. They don't need God. We got this. And they treated others with contempt out of that because trusting in self and and a lack of praying rightly almost always filters out into our relationships with others in a negative way. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. That man's prayer was described as trusting in himself for his own righteousness because he's not rightly coming to God and praying. He he is not placing himself under God's grace and the person of God. He is this isn't our father in heaven hallowed be your name. This isn't your will be done, your kingdom come. This is look at what I've done. And that's compared to verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Do you see a different posture? Different way of viewing prayer. He beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Not a lot of words. Just coming humbly in dependence and trust on God. See, in prayer, we trust and depend on God's wisdom, his love, his goodness, and power. We won't read it now, but 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. And he says, I prayed about it three times. I pleaded with God. I prayed intently. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And so that was a prayer of trust and dependence when God said, my grace is sufficient. In your weakness, I will show myself. So village, we pray for relationship, but we also pray for dependence. Because we're dependent, that prayer acknowledges our dependence. It acknowledges our trust. And so that's why prayer is the right response in trials. That's why prayer is the right response in concerns. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And saying, you're worried about all these things. Yes, these things are happening, but prayer is the right response because it is trusting and dependence on God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Village. I don't think I'm the only independent one in the room. If we're to be honest, we are an independent, self-sufficient people. And it is robbing us of closeness with God. As long as we don't come to God with dependence and need and trust, we will not be close to God. We might be really close with ourselves but we will not be close to God. Think of those trials you have no control over. Think of the darkest days, the dark nights of the soul that you've been through. And then think of times where you have responded in dependence and trust in God, and those can become the most precious moments as you see God's arms around you, as you see him carry you through. God places us in situations where we have to trust him in prayer, where we have to depend on him in prayer because that is the refining fire that creates a relationship with God and creates an understanding of who he is. I think of that with our life. Do, do we want to be dealing with cancer right now? No. No. Cancer stinks. But I don't know that I would trade that for what it requires independence and trust. And the beauty, the beauty of relationship that comes out of that. Because God is my father, and I trust him, and he is faithful in that dependence. Prayer is often the difference between bitterness and closeness and trials. I want to end by doing something, and we're going to go just a little over today. I want to put into practice something that praying the Bible talks about, and each week I want to respond in a way. And I want us to pray. So close your eyes, bow your heads. Actually, if you want to look at the screen, you can. And we're going to pray scripture, and I'm going to read through the passage in Gethsemane. And on each phrase that I read, I want you to stop and, and ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to pray about with this prayer, with this prayer? This, um, with this phrase and listen to God and what he puts on your heart to pray. And then just quietly in your own heart right now, pray to God something that comes up with this phrase. And so I'm just going to read a few verses out of Luke 22. So let's pray. And when he came to that place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so start by praying that phrase, whatever comes to mind. Pray that God would keep you from temptation, those around you. Jesus said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing Remove this cup from me. Talk to God about that phrase. If you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Pray that to God in whatever your situation is. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Respond to God from that phrase. How is he strengthening you? Thank him for strength. Ask him for strength. But pray that phrase to God. Lord God, may we see the value of prayer. May we see the value of dependence Lord, and and may you use prayer to crush our self-sufficiency, to crush our pride, to crush the way we treat people sometimes, to crush those things that are not from you. Because Lord, we know a lack of prayer elevates pride. It elevates self-sufficiency. It elevates a critical spirit that help our dependency on you to crush those things. To where we echo the words of Christ and say, not my will, but yours be done. Yours be done. May we be a praying people. And out of that prayer, Lord, just develop our relationship with you in new and vital ways this week. In vibrant ways. Lord, I also pray that you would make us aware of our dependence on you whatever it takes to make us trust you, depend on you and see the beauty of that and see the joy in that. Lord, help us to pray.